Hello, everyone. Before we get into our episode today, I wanted to remind you of our upcoming CDI Awareness Conference. It's virtual on September 14th and 15th, fully online so you can attend from anywhere in the world. This two-day event is packed with valuable insights and expertise from leading experts in clinical documentation improvement. We'll be covering a wide range of topics related to CDI, ensuring you stay up to date with the latest trends and best practices in the field. And the best part is you can earn 15 or more CEUs just by participating in this conference. Stay ahead of the curve and fulfill your educational requirements all at once. Whether you're a seasoned CDI specialist or new to the field, this conference is designed to cater to all levels of expertise. Learn from the best and connect with like-minded professionals to broaden your network and exchange ideas. Registration is now open, so secure your spot before it's too late. Head over to our website and sign up today to join the CDI community at this exclusive virtual event. Jump on over to www.healthcareinspiredllc.com and head over to our event section. Do not miss this fantastic opportunity to connect and learn all about CDI. We will see you there. Welcome to Healthcare Inspired the podcast that bridges the gap between clinical expertise and business innovation, all with a single purpose, improving patient care. Get ready to be inspired as we bring you thought-provoking discussions, captivating stories, and groundbreaking insights from leading experts in healthcare. Join your host, Jennifer McNamara, on a journey of discovery as she connects the dots, revealing the synergy between clinical and business teams. Each episode, we'll delve into the latest healthcare trends, uncover innovative solutions, and share success stories that will motivate and ignite change. So get ready to embark on a path of inspiration, knowledge, and transformation. Here is your host, Jennifer McNamara. Well, guys, we are back. We're here to talk once again about the revenue cycle and denials. Uh, we also understand that there are, we couldn't cover all the denial situations that we, we encounter or even just revenue cycle issues uh, in the last episode. So Maya's back again. Welcome, Maya. Hello again. It's good to be back. Love talking about revenue cycle management. That's like our, our bread and butter. And it's the, the, the way of the business world goes round, as I like to say. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And we understand, like I mentioned last time, there's so many things to navigate, not only as a professional in the business of healthcare, but also as a patient. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes, most definitely. And and we, as patients, um, we go about things different ways because we're understanding that the office understands what they're required to do when it's really our job to know what they're supposed to do. And I think that's where there is a divulge because the patient is expecting the office to know and they don't always know. And then you have this miscommunication and people getting bills and it becomes just a big mess. Absolutely. So today we're here to talk about this. It's episode three of the healthcare inspired podcast navigating in network benefits and the impact on practice revenue. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is just how to explore the concept of in-network benefits. We all want to be in network with the physician that we see. Why is that, Maya? Why do you want to be in network? Well, in-network benefits is just that. It's an in-network contractual um, agreement between a payer and a provider to provide a benefit 
at a lesser out-of-pocket cost for the patient because they've agreed to take uh, certain costs that are associated with um, the care that they provide. So most patients want to receive the benefit. Most of the time, there is no out-of-pocket deductible or the deductible is less when they see in-network providers. So there's a, a lot of benefits that's um, you know connected with uh, payers who have a PPO or any type of managed care policy um, where they're in-network because the benefits are much greater on the patient's behalf. Excellent, yes. I've been a patient before and there have been times where I've had to go out of my network because there's a specific type of procedure I have to go have and maybe there's a doctor somewhere in another state or another area that that does that specific procedure that we don't have in our area. So there are times where, yes, it's beneficial for you as a patient to do that, but weigh the cost, you know, always mm-hmm. you know, know your budget, right? Know your budget, what you can afford and what you can't afford and what you need. And when I work for the hospital, I had, of course, the website we go to that we kind of search for a physician and it tells us you these the physicians, but even sometimes that information, not to be against the insurance company, but sometimes that information isn't always accurate. So don't go on the website and just like assume, oh yes, this doctor's on my list. I can go see them. I'm going to be paid hundred percent, yada, yada. You have to do the research yourself as a patient yep. and make sure you ask those questions. Call your insurance company, first of all, and ask mm-hmm. them specifically, this is the doctor. And you might even um, be able to call the, uh, the, uh, the practice and say, hey, uh, the insurance company is asking her these questions so I can confirm that you are a network. Can I have this information? You know, it's really interesting because um, having worked all positions in an office, I still have nightmares. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> no, but seriously, I, one of the key things that I learned about insurance and verification is one, the patient needs to be well-informed. It's not your physician's or your practice's job to know your benefits. You as a patient, you need to know your benefits. The second thing is call your insurance company and don't be afraid to call them and call them more than once. My rule of thumb is if you get the same answer three times, more than likely it's right. If you get three separate answers, call again until you get the sep- the right answer consecutive times. Because if you don't, you're going to be lost. And take notes and take names and the days and times that you spoke with them. And, and then you should be okay because there is a point of reference. And if they are not incorrect, then they could be um, coached to get the right information. I can't tell you how many times where that has actually happened to me. I turned out to be more beneficial because I had name, dates, and times. So it really is important. And, you know, we realize that a lot of medical practice, especially these days, the cost of healthcare, even for a physician to actually take an insurance, they they do feel like they're losing a lot of money compared to previous years. Yeah, that's that's definitely true, especially during the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. Specialty providers and and um, proceduralists alike lost a lot of money because of this issue um, related to the pandemic and elective procedures taking precedence. So you have to think about all of these providers who have lost all this money, who make their money off of procedures, who you can't even begin to imagine how much of a deficit they suffered during this time. And so now they're on an upswing on recovering, but it's going to take more effort and more time for them to recover, which makes it that much more um, difficult for the patient to receive any type of clear communication on anything. Absolutely. And, you know, there are pros and cons for physician offices and facilities to accept certain insurances for sure. Take into consideration, you know, the patient volume that you have. 
you know, what's what's the insurance that you're going to maybe see more of? I know in our area, we are in the area of Walmart. I and mean, everyone knows Bentonville, Arkansas. <laughs> that's where Walmart is, right? The home office. So everyone around here works for Walmart. It seems like we're Sam's Club or a vendor yeah. of Walmart. I, most people know this around here, but like if you work, if you actually sell a product in Walmart, you have to have an office here in, in this area. Like they require you wow. to. So, so many people work for like Coca-Cola or Pepsi. I'm, I'm name dropping here, but these are like companies, big companies that sell a product in a grocery store like Walmart and they have to have an office here. So they're going to have maybe their own corporate insurance, right? Cause that, that company has their own and then Walmart's going to have their own and all these companies have their own insurance. And for instance, Blue Cross Blue Shields, uh, we have Tyson Chicken here and they have their own policy, their own plan. Oh. And if you look up at, if you look at Blue Advantage Administrators of Arkansas, you're going to see that at the very bottom of some of the policies, it says this would be affected if you have Tyson or Walmart. It actually says that at the bottom of the policy. Wow. So yeah, because they're such huge employers across the state for a lot of people. So they actually have that in the thing. So you have to, as a patient, understand if you work for one of these companies that's large enough, you may have a very specific carved out plan. So some, some physician practices will look at that element of things when they decide what insurance is to accept, right? And they have to understand yeah. who they're seeing, right, in their area. Uh, and then also patient convenience. Sometimes patients just want to be able to use their benefits. I do. It's so interesting um, because there are certain payers that are prevalent. And when you mentioned carved out, people don't even understand that even though you think you have a type of benefit, it could be carved out, meaning that there would be no coverage if there are certain things that come into play mm -hmm. that can adversely affect the benefits that are available to you. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really interesting about the carve out policies and how that whole thing works with your insurance. And you need to understand if there is a carve out, you need to know if there's an alternative benefit that you can get when it's a carve out. So if they give you a carve out, then there has to be an alternative benefit to equate for what you're missing for that carved out uh, type of service that you're looking for. So it's it's so incredibly mm -hmm. interesting. I just it's that whole arena of 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 uh, third party coverages, third party administrators providing certain types of coverages um, contingent on quote unquote carve out or quote unquote in network benefits. It's insane and. It's really unfair for the patient to have to navigate through all of that, but it's also beneficial for the patient to do it because of the offices that may not know what to do. You and I, we're mm -hmm. very privy to that, but again, it doesn't necessarily mean that just because you and I know that the office is going to know. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was... Um, I had the privilege of helping a practice get set up. It was a, it was a one physician practice, but they they really relied on us to help them navigate this. And they were a a, a type of specialty plastic surgery where you have the component of cosmetic and insurance. And even today, oh, two yeah. years, three years later, they're still struggling to really make sure they understand how to help their patients understand. Yes, you have to pay us this part for the for the self pay portion of your procedure, and then we're going to bill. This, of course, this part goes mm -hmm. to the insurance and the insurance only pays for this part because you have cancer, maybe you had cancer. So that's a reason why they'll cover right. this. But yeah, this yeah, cosmetic yeah. portion, right? Like a tummy tuck, for instance, you know, yeah. there may be medically medical reasons that that could be covered, but most of the time patients do it for cosmetic reasons. Okay. So I'm a former bariatric patient. I'm not afraid to say it. I'm a former bariatric <laughs> patient. <laughs> and, and then uh, the tummy tuck, uh, the 
medical term is called panelectomy and yes. panelectomy. And because certain people who have access amount of skin, because I know there's probably some bariatric patient that's listening besides me being on mm -hmm. here. Um, and because the panelectomy is considered a medically necessary service if you meet certain criteria, if you have irritation of the skin or the skin is growing out of whack and that's the only way you can get it covered. It's not automatically covered because you had bariatric surgery. So you have that very small medical necessity window for people who are bariatric in nature who want the panelectomy but can't because they don't meet the medical necessity criteria. And that's what a lot of uh, patients fail to realize. Just because you're a candidate of one procedure doesn't mean that you're automatically qualified to get another procedure, which is extremely important. And something that the patient should be aware of when they go in for consultations. So just wanted mm -hmm. to point that out. Yes, and you know, as a physician's office, we know it's your goal to help the, the patients in your community and you wanna reduce that financial burden on them. You wanna make sure they can use the insurance they work so hard to pay for. You know, you wanna have that patient retention. You wanna keep them happy so they'll keep coming to you as a, as a provider because not only you care about them as a patient, as a person, but you also know you're in the business and that's how you stay profitable is you keep those people coming back when they need you, right? There's also the situation where you can if you accept insurances, you're going to most likely get referrals, right? From other physician practices. Yes. Yes. You know, and uh, it's, it's really interesting about quote unquote, the, the referral process, because when you're in network, you have all the network benefits, the referrals and things of that nature. But when you're out of network, which is the exact opposite, you have to negotiate, you have to fight for a benefit. You have to fight for medical necessity because nine times out of 10, the in-network benefits because you're contractual are on a contractual fee schedule of certain procedures that you're likely to perform. Whereas when you're out of network, you're at the insurance company's discretion. You have to call somebody who's negotiating. Their job is to save money and you could lose 60% as a provider for a procedure that you know you should get 80% of whatever you're billing. So mm -hmm. that's a huge disadvantage um, for out-of-network versus in-network providers because when they're in-network, you know that certain services are covered where when you're out-of-network, it's just a... Uh, shot in the dark pretty much and you know we've talked about the, the pros right of doing this what about the cons there's always cons right <laughs> oh yes so when you're in network the cons are the same like they still negotiate with you but they try to negotiate at a higher amount you have to take a lesser benefit like if you're out of cost uh your your standard cost is a thousand dollars your in-network benefit could be half of that so, but the, the fail safe behind that is that you get more patients that are quote unquote referred to you. But mm -hmm. again, I mean, most providers who accept Medicare because Medicare is one of those in network out of network type of deals where you accept next to nothing based upon what you get, but because of the amount of patients you get, you make up for what you're not getting in numbers, but you still have to put in the effort to do the work. So it's a catch 22, but uh, at the end of the day, it's all about patients um, uh, being aware, right? And understanding 
that because they're going to an network provider, then they're able to get some kind of benefit that's beneficial to them. I'm going to kind of run through a couple of these cons um, for our those listeners out there. So there's the administrative burden. Obviously, you have to manage the process of claims, verifying coverage. The process is time consuming and you have to have dedicated staff and resources yes. to, to vote. And yes. you're going to run across situations that, you know, you're going to run across situations where you may not have qualified staff and maybe you're, you don't realize how much money you're losing, even though it's a burden yeah. on you. Yeah. If you were to hire the right people that understood these processes, you would not believe how much money would come in regularly. Yeah. I mean, and, and one of the things that I also find is the disadvantage of, 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 having a dedicated person is the bandwidth, right? Because you have the MAs who are rooming the patients, but then you got the one MA who's helping all the doctors and a very small budgeted practice who might be at their bandwidth completely, mm -hmm. who's not taking the time or understanding all the details behind certain services that the practices uh, perform. So you have that, um, that's running against uh, the office if you have one person doing everything. And 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 in my experience in working for a large organization and working with physician practices within the organization, you always have that one MA that knows everything that's trying to help everybody, but they're servicing everybody, but the coverage and the EOBs and the communication between these offices is just lacking because either A, nobody has the time or B, nobody understands it. So it just sits in a pile. It's not easy because you wish they would just be a st one standardized way of doing things, but you have the coding that varies from payer to payer. You have the prioritization oh, yeah. requirements. I mean, we could talk about PAs on, a, on their own episode, which we will. Um, down the road. And then we have denials. And it'd be nice if the, all the patients in the world could afford all the healthcare they need and you could just bill them, but they can't. You have to run on someone else to pay the bill. And so you can have denials for various reasons, incomplete documentation for one, coverage limitations, you know, just things that are automatically denied every time they come through because that's the way they set it up because they want to automatically request a review. They don't want to automatically pay this large surgery they want to know what really happened before they shell out $18,000, maybe, or $20,000. Yeah. They're going to want to make sure they have the records to say, okay, this is a large amount you're asking us to pay. Let's make sure that we have covered everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> I, I, I can't tell you how many times where we've had conversations with our charge release team and the offices who are just at a loss because they just, don't understand and education is key education is key and being educated self-educating is key you know take the time to understand what your benefits are don't expect someone else to understand what you know to count your money for you you know it's like when you leave a window you want to make sure that you have every dollar that you have requested from your teller if you left that window and there's a thousand dollars still at the teller, is that the teller's responsibility to tell you if you walked away and she says she gave it to you? Absolutely not. So it's the same concept. We have to, as, as patients, as consumers, become very well educated for the types of things that we encounter, the types of things that hold us interest, and the type of uh, people who are servicing us that we're paying services to. That's just it. And if you don't understand that or take the time to understand that, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage for sure.
Absolutely. And talking about educating staff, another thing that we, I, I personally feel being a patient myself, I think a lot of people just don't understand how to talk to patients. And um, so there are strategies that we can employ really just to increase our ability to be more transparent with our patients. I think that there's a, a huge disconnect in what we're allowed to say and what we should be saying to our patients. Maybe someone's telling us, well, don't tell them that. Um, only tell them this, right? It's like right. when you're when you're I, when your mom tells you, "Oh, if this person calls, I'm not home." You know, <laughs> it's like you don't want to talk to them. <laughs> but educating yeah. your staff on on obviously the basics, they need to understand the insurance coverage, the terminology that they're going to hear. But then they need to understand that terminology well enough. If the patient brings a letter they got in from the from their insurance, I got this mm -hmm. letter. What does it mean? I don't know what this means. You know, and they can articulate that so well the patient clearly understands why they got this letter what their responsibility is and what patient's responsibility is yeah yeah it's it's really unfortunate and again that goes back to you know when we were speaking of earlier it's about the culture in the office mm -hmm. and the training right so if the culture in the office is to not think of the patient as someone that's priority then they're not going to see them as a priority and they're going to treat them like they're second class citizens and it's unfortunate but because like you say when you go to the front desk and patients have an encounter with the PSR reps then and they get a bad experience they're not going to come back one because they don't know how to be respectful and the patient doesn't feel respected and then when they get to the doctor the doctor's like, oh, well, she's the best thing. And you're like, she's not because I felt this. And once mm -hmm. they defend them, right, they're feeling that you're taking sides against them and they don't want to come back because they don't feel like they're treated as important. And to me, if you have a patient-centered office with a patient-centered mindset, you are going to have patients to come back day in, day out, every time because the patient feels important. If you don't know something, find it out. If the patient doesn't understand something, find out for them. And when you have that kind of mindset, I think it's a win-win. But when you don't, you're going to lose patients across the board. Now, we have what we do in the offices. I actually was this person for a long time back in the day, you know, where you have someone that actually provides an estimate of cost for that planned procedure. Yeah. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you're going to have to consider, you know, obviously tell them, especially if they have a certain procedure that's not covered, carve that out and say, this is how much you're going to owe for this. Make sure you lay it out very clearly for them so they understand. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great technology out there um, to help you organize this kind of thing where it tells you, okay, here's the insurance information, here's the explanation of benefits, and here is the deductible co-insurance. After this is met, this is what you'll owe. You only owe us 20% or 10% of this procedure, or you've met your out-of-pocket, you know us zero, and you get this for free, right. technically. Right. <laughs> so Right. I mean, but I also think that um, when you give the estimate and the patient is unsure, or even the office is unsure, um, you can do a predetermination of benefits, especially with a PPO or managed care policy where, you know, you just want to see what's covered. I mean, and if the patient asks for it, and if you are unsure of whether a procedure or not can be covered, just like when you go to the dental office, right? They tell you this is that. We could send a predetermination to find out how much is covered, and they'll do just that for you. And the insurance company, based upon what is submitted, right, and the evidence 
of the medical necessity, they'll outline everything that is required and the predetermination of coverage of what you could be out of pocket once a deductible is met and so forth and so on. And those numbers are outlined in that predetermination of benefits. So that's it's in your file or the patient has it. And there's no questions about what would be out of pocket once that claim is paid. 100% yes. And uh, we know as a patient, we're telling you all of this, right? But it's not gonna be all sink in. Maybe you're gonna get a bill, you're gonna forget, okay, I, I got this bill and you're gonna say, okay, I don't know what to do now. And it can be frustrating as a patient where oh, you yeah. still did everything right. You did everything right. You followed the requirements from <laughs> your, your doctor said, this is what you should owe. You yeah. call the insurance and they, they call the insurance and say, this is what you should owe. And you kind of match those together. Okay, I can I can afford that. But hey, what happens? You get an unexpected bill. It can be stressful. I get huge anxiety when I get a medical bill in the mail. Oh, ooh. but you know, what's interesting now is I think, how long ago was that, Jennifer, where the medical bills are no longer on your credit report? Um, and no, they no longer can appear. I think. Oh yeah, I remember that. yeah, it, yeah. It's 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 been a little bit, but that's a nice a nice benefit also. I mean, that is great because some patients just have these astronomical bills. And, yeah. You know, um, a while back I had a guest on a previous podcast, uh, Jared Walker from Dollar Four, and I plan on having him on the podcast in the future. But he's a great resource, especially for patients who have these unexpected bills. There are millions of Americans that are paying medical bills that they don't have to pay. There are patient advocates out there, and Jared Walker is one of them. They have a, they have a great team at Dollar Four, but they really they actually help you find mm -hmm. resources and find programs out there at your own hospital that exist to help you pay bills. And it's amazing how much medical debt that they are helping <laughs> patients completely write off. I mean, even if you dispute part of the bill and I mean, and there are certain things that once you get a hospital bill, there are certain things that is within uh, reach for the uh, rep, the finance rep to do for you on your behalf. Even if you challenge three uh, Tylenol pills at $50 a piece, you're paying $150 for three Tylenol. Even if you were to uh, dispute that, they do have at some discretion a certain dollar amount that they can adjust off of your bill even before you get to um, the patient advocacy group. Um, so there's just things that you should um, become educated or educate yourself in about your rights as a patient. When you're sitting in the office, read those things that are on the wall. They're displayed for a reason. Those are compliance regulations. They have to display, display that. They have to say certain things to you to make sure that you're well aware of your rights as a patient and that you're well aware of what your rights to dispute if you don't agree with something. So that's an office level. That's a hospital level. That's across the board for any medical service you get. You know, part of that communication is understanding not only what you should communicate with your patients, but that if you don't communicate certain things to them, you could face both legal and ethical implications. Absolutely. Yeah. Like no surprises act. Um, if you haven't learned already as a patient, Google no surprises act. Um, and you would be surprised on some of your rights that even based upon that and certain steps that you can take as a patient to educate yourself and to make the offices and or facilities aware of as a patient that you weren't aware of it um, and that you'd like to discuss it in more in depth to see if there's something that they can do about uh, the cost that's out of pocket for you. Absolutely. So you want to make sure you understand the implications if you don't mm -hmm. comply with some of these laws. 
Um, but also think about the fact, you know, I, I always say this when I talk to practices that want to not collect co-pays and they don't want to, they want to write them off all the time. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> I know that's the other conversation itself. What I will say is that when you go into a contract as a patient with your insurance, you're mm -hmm. agreeing to pay so much a month and you're saying, okay, I understand every time I see a primary care physician, I'm paying $20. If I see a yeah. specialist, I'm paying 40. If I'm going to be going to the hospital and I'm going to be in the, uh, in the inpatient for a couple of days, maybe I'm going to have a deductible or a copay even at the hospital for like $200. I understand yes. I have to. I also recommend that practices, you know, be very transparent with their patients because you yes. don't want to just say, you, we can't see you today. That's not good customer service. But explain no. to your patients that because you are also in a contractual agreement with your insurance and you are in a contract to accept their insurance, unfortunately, you're not able to um, not collect the copay. Now, you might be able to say, hey, I'm going to, you know, have to bill your insurance. Maybe you don't collect it that day because maybe they can't afford it. But just let right. them know they're going to have to pay it at some point. You're going to bill them yes. for it. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I mean, I've done it myself where, you know, you leave your your uh, health uh, flexible spending card at home. You don't have any cash. I mean, who carries cash anymore? Right. And then you, <laughs> you go to the office and, you you know, you're like, oh, my goodness, I don't have my card. OK, well, we'll just bill you today. But just know that you have to pay it. I mean, but don't make it a habit, but be just like you want them to be transparent with you. You be transparent with them. And I promise if you work together, I, I, it, it will be a smoothless and a very seamless process. Absolutely. And that's all it's about. It's about just being honest with them and making and mm -hmm. making them feel like you make it feel like you, well, you know what's going on and you understand things on their behalf because they're dealing with so much. I mean, especially if it's oncology. I mean, I work with oncology and there's oh. just oh. so much dealing with. They're dealing with so Where much. is my head to hit against the wall for oncology? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me, girl. But it's, you know, it's the drug cost, it's the it's the diagnostic testing, it's just the visits, oh. it's, it's the surgery, it's the chemo, it's it's everything. But there's so many things to remember. You have to see so many different types of providers in that process, right? And yes, so you're yes. having to always go back and forth. Okay. And so uh, what I wanted to do today is I want to talk about some personal experiences here that we've experienced. And oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you, I have worked with, with practices where they don't have a financial counselor. And nope. I'm like, how do you even survive? How do your patients have to walk out and never come back and go to somewhere else? Because you have no one explained to them what's happening and they are just distraught and they can't figure out why they owe this money. And you told them one thing, Maybe they didn't really understand. And then they're this huge bill and they're like, well, why didn't they tell me that? And so yeah. it's one thing to, you know, not know, but how long do you not know? And right. how long is it going to take you to start mm -hmm. knowing and figure yeah, it out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, it's so interesting because um, having worked as a professional educator in an institution and then working as an educator for my organization, you find that your eyes are opened. And as you begin to talk to students and, you know, educate, you know, coders and things like that, the things that you know are the things that you know, but it becomes a different type of, of perception, right? When it's your grandparents or your mom, mm -hmm. right? And then you want to get the best outcome and then you find that they don't take care of your mom the way that you want them to take care of your mom. So mm -hmm. you have to play, play mama bear, right? To mm -hmm. say, okay, wait a minute. 
We all have to play mama bear. And sometimes mama bear could be really, really nasty depending upon what you do to her cup. So it's like, you wanna make sure that whatever is happening, that everybody understands and that you're expecting nothing less than the best because you are a person who is educated. And once they find out that you're educated, they kind of change their tune a little bit. They mm -hmm. try to tune it up and play the chord really nicely um, because you're coming to them from a very well-educated place. And I'll tell you, Jennifer, at one point I was assisting um, a pastor because um, my husband is a pastor. Did I tell you that? Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, oh, girl. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was working with a pastor once and um, he had multiple myeloma for for the uh, Camp Lejeune. Remember that, that big thing, right? And yeah. so he had multiple myeloma and um, they he was on the downswing and he had these these wounds that were gap, gasping. They were, they were huge, but he didn't know that he had hyperbaric ox oxygen as a benefit. His infectious disease doctor didn't know hyperbaric oxygen was a benefit. And hyperbaric oxygen is a concentrated amount of oxygen for, for, for wound care, for the oxygen to, to um, saturate the wound, to promote healing because it's oxygenating the blood to heal. So at this point, they didn't know. So when I talked to the infectious disease doc and I said, well, did you know that their insurance covers HBO? And the infectious disease doc paused and was like, well, why is this person talking to me about HBO about the treatment for my patient? But guess what? A week later, he had everything he needed. He did home HBO and the wound literally reduced to the size of a dime when it was the size of a grapefruit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. those types of things, you know, when you're educated and you come to the office from an educated perspective, you know, um, it becomes uh, more satisfying because they begin to pay attention that you're paying attention and they become more conscientious of the things that they say versus not saying at all. So as a patient and as a patient who should be um, well aware of your benefits when you go to any office, it's really beneficial for you to come in educated as opposed to not. Um, you know, we heard the quote, we love the uneducated. Okay, well, you don't want to be an uneducated patient walking into the office. You want to be as educated as possible so you can get the best benefit that's an outcome for both beneficial for you and the uh, the provider that you're seeing. Absolutely. Now, um, to those of you out there who have been following my blog on healthcareinspiredllc.com, I recently published an article on something that's very concerning to me, and it is the idea of revenue coming in right now versus precision. So basically what it, what that means is that there are a lot of medical practices out there that just want revenue now and they yep. don't care about what happens later. So they're completely fine with skimping on the rules just to get revenue in right now without realizing the implications of six months down the road. Oh, you have a, boy. What, a, an <laughs> audit? And um, you have to do an appeal and they're going to request records. You're like, oh, wait, I don't have any information to back this up. What am I thinking? Mm -hmm. And so now you're facing mm -hmm. losing all of that money that you already paid staff with. And exclusion and exclusion. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So you've already used that money that you had received to pay for <laughs> all this stuff. It's like buying on credit, right? It's like, oh, oh. I already 
bought all my good clothes and my CDs. Like back, I'm dating myself. CDs. What am I talking about? Um, you know, I already bought my computer. I already bought like what do we, what do you buy these days? It's like I don't even know. I don't I don't buy those. Your new iPhone. My new iPhone. Your I bought, you know, Yes, exactly. You know, I already bought all that. You know, um, I already paid for my staff, my electric bill, mm -hmm, all the computers mm -hmm, I bought, mm -hmm. all this equipment mm -hmm. I have to have for this procedure. I already paid for it. So now I'm having to basically pay all of that back. Yep. And I've lost a significant amount of revenue. You know, and I could tell you that I've consulted on so many cases, specifically with telehealth and COVID, where they don't care if they have the consent on file. I'm like, are you kidding me? You don't care about the consent? Are you serious? And with all the leniencies associated with telehealth and all the laws that are, you know, varied across uh, each state, you know, you want to have at least someone who knows better to know that there needs to be a consent on file. And it's not just a blanket consent for treatment when you walk into the office. And we've seen, and I've seen so many things from the OIG about COVID and, and, and the fraudulent things that are happening because the, doc, the offices want to get a quick buck and they don't care about compliance. They just want to worry about the now rather than the later. And the next time you go on the OIG website, you would be so surprised about all of these offices who are trying to make a quick buck. And then the, you know, the DOJ or the OIG or um, some sort of rack audit is coming back asking for all that money because you didn't care initially to write down what was needed in the first place. And all it takes is two seconds to read or to understand that you need to get a consent, even if the patient verbalizes consent. Writing that down in the chart is everything rather than not writing it at all. Now you losing everything. So I can't tell you how much I've seen it. Yes. And, you know, I wish there was a simpler way to just solve all this. There isn't. It's a, it's each no. individual taking ownership, each one taking ownership of their role and what they're trying to accomplish in healthcare is for the patient. If, if that's not why you're doing it, then you're probably in the wrong profession. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 That's, that's, it's, it's so, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, we all have to play nice in the sandbox, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't play nice in the sandbox, and if nobody has an agreeable uh, median to provide the best care and to communicate the best outcome for benefits, then you're, you're in the wrong business and you really should rethink. Um, who's running your practice um, or who's communicating with you the type of benefits you can receive because um, what's done in the dark usually comes to light. Yeah. Recently I was having a, a conversation with another fellow consultant colleague of mine and I was telling them, I was like, I just don't understand like why they're doing things this way and why they, they don't understand this. Like why, how did they miss this piece? And what he told me was just eye opening and I know it to be true, but I guess I didn't want to face it. Is that he said, right. I'm telling you, he said, they don't care. No, and, they don't. And he, he wasn't saying it to discourage me. He was saying it because we need the truth these days. We need yeah. to understand what the truth of the matter is right now. And they just don't care. A lot of them, you know, I'm not saying anyone, but a lot of them don't care because they have so many other things on their mind. A lot of yeah. these administrators and, you know, clinicians, you know, they're just trying to keep their head above water that all these little things, if they get 60% of their revenue in for a major facility, they're happy with that. But they have to Absolutely. write off 
a million here, they're okay with it. A smaller mm -hmm. practice, maybe not so much, but there are a lot of facilities out there that are okay with taking shortcuts um, and just dealing with it mm -hmm. later because they're just trying to keep their head above water. And I understand that, but at the end of the day, I just, I hope that we can find a way to do both, right? Because yes. at the same time, you know, you can be very efficient when you understand each piece of the puzzle that you have to deal with. Make sure that you have qualified people that understand, you know, for instance, when I go into medical practice, when I do workflow management, for instance, I go into a practice and I say, I want to, I want to know how many coders you have, how many billers you have, how many physicians <laughs> you have, how many claims you process in a month. Um, and I want to see your revenue and I want to see, I want to like watch your employees as, you know, I was like, I'm not trying to, you know, do, do that all the time, but I want to kind of talk to them and I want to see what their, their day's like. What do they do in this mm -hmm. situation? How do they handle mm -hmm. this? Are they actually spending this much on the phone when they don't have to? Um, yeah. Are they still doing things old school when they could be yeah. employing technology to be more efficient? Um, what are your whole times um, on the phone, like I said, or when the patient comes up, how do they interact with them? Do they prepare yeah. in advance, prepare in advance on what they're going to say to the patient when they walk in the next day? Do they prepare the benefits in advance? Do they understand, okay, for Medicaid, I don't have a referral yet and I can't see this patient. Do I call them in advance or they wait till they come in and say, hey, oh, by the way, we can't see you today. When oh. you could have called, you could have called them uh, yesterday before they headed two hours this way. And yeah. it's, it's things like that, little stupid things like that, that really drive me nuts where yeah. you have such disorganization in a type of uh, organization that's supposed to be just that organized. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting because I think before we talked about, you know, the size of a practice and whether it be a private private practice or if it's a larger organization. And sometimes it doesn't even matter if it's a smaller practice versus a larger organization. Sometimes you find that the the culture is the same. So you have to really kind of take a step back. And like you said, when you go into consulting and you see all of the things that come from the beginning to the end, what is the culture of the office? What is your focus? Is the focus the patient or is the focus money? And you will find that if the focus is money, less money, less time is paid attention to, to the patient. If they're patient focused, less time is paid attention to the money. So it, it's really, <laughs> to get them at an even uh, keel, it does take work, but it also takes education for it to work. Absolutely. So thank you again, Maya. This was fabulous. I'm very excited to have you on the show today to talk more about revenue cycle and some of these things. We do get denials, like we mentioned last time, front end denials. We get denials yes. for in and out of network benefits, for in and, at, in and out of network benefits. And we also get denials, what on the back end? Oh. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Yes. So that's for you, AR management team, you back in people. Um, I would love for you to join us next time on our final uh, third part of this series for the back end denial. So we're going to talk about a lot of things, especially things with coding appeals, you know, things that, you know, we have to understand as far as certain types of denials, medical necessity that we get on the back end. A lot of times these yeah. things don't actually become apparent to us till the Till the actual claim processes. So we're going to actually talk about that at our next uh, episode. So stay tuned for that. Thank you again, Maya. And thank you to our wonderful podcast producer, Gabriel Fast with Highland Productions. Until next time.
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Healthcare Inspired. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you thought of the show. To learn more about Jennifer McNamara and her team at Healthcare Inspired, including how to hire their exceptional data team, visit www.healthcareinspiredllc.com. Thank you once again for joining us on this journey of inspiration and transformation. Together, let's shape the future of patient care. Healthcare Inspired is brought to you by Healthcare Inspired LLC. The show is produced by Highland Productions. Our executive producer is Jennifer McNamara. All music is composed by Gabriel Fast.